You're listening to That's News to Me, Episode 3. It's Wednesday, March 2, 2016. Hey everybody, welcome back to That's News to Me. I'm Ace, so thrilled to have you here with me. In today's episode, Maya Angelou had a post office named after her, but there were a few Republicans who didn't want to see that happen. I'll tell you who they were and why they didn't want to see it happen. Super Tuesday results are in. About 13 states had their primaries and caucuses yesterday, and I'll let you know who stands where with the delegate counts. Donald Trump was recently endorsed by blatant racist and former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke. How did Trump react to the endorsement? Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas spoke out from the bench for the first time in 10 years during oral arguments. I'll let you know what brought him out of his hole. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. By the way, let me say thank you. Episode 2 garnered 2,500 listeners from all parts of the world. I appreciate it so much. I wish I knew how to say thank you in all those different languages, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Enjoy the show, guys. Donald Trump has an admirer. His name is David Duke. David Duke used to be a grand wizard for the Ku Klux Klan. If you're not familiar with Mr. Duke, he's a Holocaust denier, a white nationalist, a Jew hater, far-right politician slash conspiracy theorist. He used to run around Louisiana State University's campus in a Nazi uniform back in the late 60s. Really popular with other students. David Duke joined the KKK in 1967 at the age of 16. While at LSU, he formed a white student group called the White Youth Alliance that was affiliated with the National Socialist White People's Party. He's been charged with inciting riots, and he's had bricks thrown at his dumb cracker ass by the Black Panthers before police had to save him. He's run for president, for Congress, the Senate, and for governor. In 1989, he barely won a campaign in a special election for the Louisiana House of Representatives, where he served for four years miserably. Everybody hated him. He didn't accomplish dick. He toned down the racism and put on a nice suit and tried to be friendly, but he ended up talking about Europeans and the underclass a lot. Even the KKK couldn't stand David Duke. The hate group that he held so much power in accused him of stealing funds earned at Klan rallies and accused him of using Klan money to remodel his house. How do we even make money at a Klan rally? You rent sheets out? So David Duke endorsed Donald Trump for president the other day. He's saying now that he didn't really endorse him, but that's bullshit. During remarks on the David Duke radio program, Duke said... Voting against Donald Trump at this point is really treason to your heritage. I'm not saying I endorse everything about Trump. In fact, I haven't formally endorsed him. But I do support his candidacy, and I support voting for him as a strategic action. I hope he does everything we hope he will do. Well, that sounds like an endorsement to me, and since then he has said that he will vote for Trump. That's an endorsement. He said voting for him as a strategic action. Well, that means he wants him to come down hard on illegal immigrants, as promised. Trump claimed in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper that he doesn't know anything about David Duke or his involvement with the Klan when asked if he accepted the endorsement of a proven white supremacist. I'll play that clip for you in a bit, but first let me give you some background on previous times in the past that Donald Trump has publicly denounced David Duke. In an interview on Larry King Live on November 19, 1991, Trump said about Duke, I hate seeing what it represents, but I guess it just shows there's a lot of hostility in this country. There's a tremendous amount of hostility in the U.S. In 2000, in a statement announcing his end to an exploratory campaign to earn the Reform Party's nomination for president, Trump said the Reform Party now includes a Klansman, Mr. Duke, a neo-Nazi, Mr. Pat Buchanan, 
anti-communist, Miss Fulani. This is not company I wish to keep. The next day, on the Today Show, he told Matt Lauer the following when asked why he considered the Reform Party a fractured party. Take a listen. When you say the party is self-destructing, what do you see as the biggest problem with the Reform Party right now? Well, you've got David Duke just joined. A bigot, a racist, a problem. I mean, this is not exactly the people you want in your party. Now, I've given you examples of Trump very confidently and publicly speaking about David Duke and the fact that he's despicable. Now listen to Trump when Jake Tapper the other day asked him to comment about being endorsed by Duke. I want to ask you about the Anti-Defamation League, which this week called on you to publicly condemn unequivocally the racism of former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke, who reset that voting against you at this point would be treason to your heritage. Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists in this election? Well, just so you understand, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Because, you know, I know nothing about David Duke. I know nothing about white supremacists. And so you're asking me a question that I'm supposed to be talking about people that I know nothing about. But I guess the question from the, from the Anti-Defamation League is, even if you don't know about their endorsement, there are these groups and individuals endorsing you. Would you just say unequivocally you condemn them and you don't want their support? Well, I have to look at the group. I mean, I don't know what group you're talking about. You wouldn't want me to condemn a group that I know nothing about. I'd have to look. If you would send me a list of the groups, I will do research on them. And certainly I would disavow if I thought there was something wrong. The but you Ku may Klux have Klan? groups in there that are totally fine and it would be very unfair. So give me a list of the groups and I'll let you know. Okay. I mean, I'm just talking about David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan here, but... I don't know. Any, honestly, I don't know David Duke. I don't believe I've ever met him. I'm pretty sure I didn't meet him. And I just don't know anything about him. It's funny that Trump acts like he doesn't remember anything about David Duke or his affiliations with the Klan because Trump famously claimed last year that he has the world's greatest memory. Of course, when he made that statement, he was saying that he remembered seeing videos of Muslims celebrating 9-11 in the street, but that he didn't remember where he saw them. Look, let's be honest about this. Trump knows who David Duke is. He knows his history with the Klan. And he knows the history of all the other hate groups that were mentioned in that same interview. And he just said, oh, I don't know enough about those groups to disavow them. I'll send me a list of them and I'll look into them. That's bullshit. Even if you were to believe that Trump doesn't recall anything about David Duke, it shouldn't have taken him any time at all to say, well, you say he's with the Klan? Well, fuck that guy. I don't need his endorsement. And screw any other white supremacist group claiming to support me. But he didn't do that. He played dumb because he's an opportunist. He needs to keep racist votes. He wouldn't want to insult the racists that were going to vote for him on Super Tuesday. You know? So does his hesitance to disavow himself from Duke and white supremacists hurt him at all? Well, that brings us to our next story. Yesterday was Super Tuesday, the day in which multiple states hold their respective caucuses and primaries as the country continues to vote for their Republican and Democratic presidential candidates of choice. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were the clear overall victors as predicted. Just as a reminder, if you don't follow the politics that much, these primaries and caucuses, they turn people's votes into delegate counts. Delegates attend the Democratic and Republican national conventions in the summer and cast a vote for their nominees. The entire election is about racking up delegates. Donald Trump won seven states, earning victories in Massachusetts, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, and Vermont. Texas Senator Ted Cruz won Texas, Oklahoma, and Alaska. 
Florida Senator Mark Rubio got his first win in Minnesota, which leaves John Kasich and Ben Carson without any wins yet in any caucuses or primaries. Cruz held a victory event in Texas and begged the other candidates to get out of the race so that he could take on Trump by himself. Good luck with that, Ted. Trump's victories in those seven states increased his delegate total to 292. Republican candidates need 1,237 delegates to win the nomination and continue to the general election. So Trump now has 292, with Ted Cruz trailing him with 188 and Marco Rubio with 98. On a Democratic side, Hillary Clinton also won seven states, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Texas, and Massachusetts, which was expected to favor Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. He picked up wins in Vermont, Oklahoma, Minnesota, and Colorado. Democratic candidates need 2,383 delegates to secure the nomination, and Clinton now has 979, compared with Bernie Sanders' count of 382. The next caucuses and primaries... Prim- the next caucuses and primaries will be held this weekend with Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, and Nebraska welcoming voters on Saturday, while Puerto Rico will cast votes on Sunday. Associate Justice of the Supreme Court Clarence Thomas spoke from the bench during oral arguments for the first time in 10 years on Monday. Thomas is a 1991 George Bush Sr. appointee. He's also a, a Needle Hill sexual harassment scandal survivor. Now, he's been criticized over the years for his silence. He's always said that he just prefers to listen to oral arguments without interruption. He told high schoolers in 2000, if you wait long enough, someone will ask your question. Well, Thomas was a bit more proactive and engaged Monday during arguments concerning Voicine versus the U.S., a case about the right to bear arms after a domestic violence conviction. Voicine addresses the Lautenberg Amendment, a law enacted in 1996 that meant to keep guns away from abusers. The Lautenberg Amendment declared that anyone with even a misdemeanor conviction for domestic violence can't own a gun or ammunition. It defines domestic violence as the use or attempted use of physical force. This is important because the statistics regarding guns and domestic violence are pretty scary. The presence of a gun in a house affected by domestic violence increases the risk of homicide by 600%, and about 65% of domestic disputes that end in homicide involve a gun. Those statistics are scary enough that the Lautenberg Amendment exists despite a Congress that's very stingy with gun regulation. Now, Voisin versus the U.S. involves Stephen Voisin, a piece of shit from Maine that likes to get drunk and beat up on the ladies. He was convicted of misdemeanor assault in 2003 for slapping his girlfriend, who said it wasn't the first time. He was convicted for the same thing in 2005, two years later. Then, in 2009, he shot and killed a bald eagle. The feds took his weapons away because possessing that weapon meant he had broken the law, as stated by the Lautenberg Amendment. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the minutiae of everything they argued about leading up to Justice Thomas speaking during the oral arguments. Let me run you through it. Voicine's counsel and a federal lawyer were arguing over adverbs, adverbs like knowingly, intentionally, and recklessly. These words are important when determining how seriously you are charged for a crime. Murder and manslaughter are a perfect example. Voicine's charges stated that he committed his crime of domestic violence knowingly, intentionally, and recklessly. Usually, Knowingly and intentionally bring more serious charges than recklessly. Knowingly and intentionally shooting somebody would earn you a murder charge, while getting too drunk and accidentally shooting somebody would probably come with an involuntary manslaughter or negligence charge. Domestic violence laws don't bother with those types of nuance, which is seen as severe by gun rights advocates. Voicine's defense is arguing that the recklessly part of his crime should override the severity of knowingly and intentionally. You know, those descriptors are different. 
The federal lawyer was doing well and had the support of the majority of the justices. She was wrapping it up and asked if anybody had any questions when Justice Clarence Thomas leaned forward and spoke up. Now, Clarence Thomas is considered the most conservative justice up there, especially since Anthony Scalia passed away. Now, Scalia was Thomas's mentor, his friend. Scalia's absence is probably why he spoke. Thomas is a very pro-Second Amendment justice. So he says to the federal lawyer, Miss Eisenstein, one question. This is a misdemeanor violation. It suspends a constitutional right. Can you give me another area where a misdemeanor suspends a constitutional right? You're saying that recklessness is sufficient to trigger a misdemeanor violation of domestic conduct that results in a lifetime ban on a gun, which at least as of now is still a constitutional right. Can you think of another constitutional right that can be suspended based upon a misdemeanor violation of a state law? Well, the federal prosecutor Eisenstein, she argued that guns and domestic violence are a specific threat, citing more studies that prove that people that have abused their partner even once are more likely to kill them in the future if they own a gun. Justice Thomas wasn't having that, and he said that a defendant convicted of domestic violence without using the gun shouldn't lose his right to own a firearm indefinitely. At this point, Justice Stephen Breyer, a Democrat, intervened and said he understood Thomas's argument. That Thomas was saying he was afraid the Lautenberg Amendment couldn't be interpreted too broadly, that it would encroach upon Second Amendment. And that ruling against Voicine would mean that he could never own a gun again. Justice Breyer said that if and when that happened, the court would probably decide whether banning domestic abusers from owning guns for life is a reasonable regulation of guns. But that was a question of constitutionality, which could be addressed at some other time. So the arguments will continue. Now, as I said before, the fact that Anthony Scalia died is probably the reason Thomas finally spoke up. Scalia usually did all of the talking, and it was always interesting. Thomas maybe just feels comfortable speaking out now, and maybe he's doing it to fill a perceived void with Scalia gone. Either way, he's an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the U.S. I don't have to agree with his politics to be interested in hearing how he feels about things. Even if his rulings become public after the fact, it'd be nice to hear what he has to say from the bench. I mean, that can only happen if he chooses to engage the court. We know that he's not uh, friendly to gay rights. He's against abortion. He detests affirmative action, even though it got him to Yale. However, he doesn't like to prosecute people for medical marijuana stuff. So he's a little bit lax on that. Anyway, welcome back to the game, Justice Thomas. Dear listeners, if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that Congress doesn't do much beside fart in Obama's face and take vacations. But they love the name post offices. Unless it's Maya Angelou's name on the post office. Maya Angelou is one of America's premier artistic and cultural icons, right up there with Mark Twain and Michael Jackson. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings is a masterpiece. She's a world-renowned poet and author whose work reaches all of our children when studying literature in school. She made her mark in the civil rights community as well, and much of her work reflects the struggle of African Americans while reminding us that black is beautiful and powerful. Congress names or renames dozens of post offices and other public buildings each year. Yesterday, the House unanimously voted to rename a California post office Medal of Honor Post Office with 381 yay votes and zero nay votes. Then it was time to debate a bill to name a post office in North Carolina after Maya Angelou. It passed, but not without some shitty resistance from some Republican lawmakers. Fifty-two of them didn't even bother to cast a vote and one just voted present. 
The lawmakers that cast a no vote were Mo Brooks from Alaska, Ken Buck from Colorado, Michael Burgess from Texas, Jeff Duncan from South Carolina, Glenn Grothman from Wisconsin, Thomas Massey from Kentucky, Alex Mooney from West Virginia, Stephen Palasso from Mississippi, and then you have Representative Andy Harris of Maryland. He voted against the Maya Angelou Memorial Post Office and called the poet a communist sympathizer. Representative Harris's father was born in Hungary and his mother is from Poland, and his spokesperson stated his parents escaped communism and he feels that he cannot vote to name a post office in the United States in honor of someone who supported the communist Castro revolution in Cuba. Now this is bullshit. You want to know why he's accusing her of being a communist? Because back in the day, when being black and having a voice was still a novelty to the Republicans, she was basically asked why she was complaining about the United States when it was so much worse in communist countries. She wasn't making a deep political statement when she replied that it wasn't a communist country that put my grandpapa in slavery. It wasn't a communist that lynched my papa or raped my mama. So she was merely echoing what anybody in a horrible situation, you know, would ask when prompted to compare their shitty situation with a shitty situation somewhere else. Maya Angelou spread knowledge and love all over the world. She entertained royalty and presidents and school children. Representative Harris makes it sound like she was wearing Castro t-shirts and goose-stepping around the U.S. advocating for communism. This is about a handful of congressmen being petty. On the record. I hope they get a bunch of angry letters, and I hope every single one of those letters has a Maya Angelou stamp on them, because they've been available for some time now. Okay, friends, that brings us to the end of episode three of That's News to Me. I'm Ace. Listen, I realize I kept it straight news this time around. I promise to get a little bit more loose next week. I appreciate every single one of you listening. Take it easy, guys.